Last weekend, we looked at Revelation chapter 5 and the analogy of Jesus as the Lion of Judah, a metaphor that was used all the way back in the Old Testament, talking about the anointed one, the Messiah, that was to come. And that our goal in 2018 was to fully unleash the power of Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, in our lives. And we just sang about it, the, the one who was roaring with power, fighting our battles, I don't know what battles you have, what obstacles you have in your life as you head into 2018, but we're going to ask that God would fully be unleashed and overcome those obstacles. See, here's, here's the thing. I, I want to make this statement, and I'm going to come back to it at the end, because last week was amazing. We had people excited, passionate, about, ready to totally change their life for Jesus, saying, I want to see you show up in my life in a way that I never had. I, I want to be used by you. Isn't that what you want? I want to be used by you. If you're a Christian, I want to be used by you by God in the short time that I have on this planet. Yeah, I've met so many people that that's their desire and their heart, but when they get faced with the reality of what we're going to talk about this week, those good intentions never come to fruition. They never end up happening because we lack what we're about to describe. And so we're going to have an honest week. It's been a fun weekend, and I will tell you there are going to be no fingers pointed Uh, And I'll describe that in a moment, but I want you to write this down, that our level of commitment to Christ's cause will reflect our level of experiencing him. You need to take a picture of that. You want to write it down, notes in your program, you're watching online right now, you want to jot that down, I encourage you to do that. I'm going to come back to that at the very end, that our level of commitment to the cause of Christ reflects how much we actually experience him. And that's at the heart of what I would like to discuss You see, I'm going to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. And eventually I'm going to get to Joshua 6, an Old Testament story that some of you are familiar with. You guys remember the story of Jericho and the walls fall down. Some of your kids watch the VeggieTales version of it. We're going to look at it and we're going to read it as if it really happened. Because I believe that it did. And we're going to experience uh, what it was like for the Israelites to live committed to Christ. But it's not just in the Old Testament that we see commitment to to God. It's in the New Testament as well. We often talk about Paul around here at the church. If you're new with us, we believe that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, that nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. We named the church Mercy Road after Acts chapter 9. Saul, who had been overseeing the killing of Christians, was essentially a religious terrorist of his day. Nobody farther from God than Saul. He has one authentic encounter with the risen Lord, with Jesus, and so dramatically changes his life. He goes on to write a lot of the New Testament and bring the good news of Jesus through three missionary journeys all over the Roman Empire. And see, when he has his life changed, by the time we get to Acts chapter 14, I want to tell you what happens to Saul, who became Paul. He brings the gospel, the good news of Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, for the very first time to the people in a pagan city, Lystra. All the other cities he'd gone to, like the Jewish synagogue, but in Lystra he just began to preach to this pagan culture who worshipped Zeus and Hermes. Hermes was like the messenger of Zeus, they believed, in the Greco-Roman Empire. And when he gets to the city, he shares his faith, and he actually sees a man who can't walk. And he says, I believe in the power of the Lion of Judah, and that Jesus Christ is still living and active, and he heals this man. He begins to walk. The people in the city, they want to worship him. And the way they would worship, and I've got an archaeological uh, uh, carving here, that this is actually taken from the city of Lystra. We found this archaeologically, and it's a picture of the, the, the Romans there in that city taking animals to be sacrificed at the city gates to Zeus and Hermes. 
And so they want to take uh, Paul uh, to the city gates and they want to offer sacrifices to him to worship him as a god. But he resists that and tells him he's not a god. And then these uh, Jewish people from Iconium, it says, comes to the, the city of Lystra and they turn the crowd against Paul. And he goes from wanting to, they want to worship him to now they want to kill him. And they take him outside the city and they beat him and they stone him and they leave him for dead. You know what Paul does? When he comes to, he gets back up and he goes right back into the very city that just tried to kill him and left him for dead. Why would he do that? You see, Paul had experienced Jesus in a way, and it so dramatically shaped his life that when he was fully unleashed in him, he had this level of commitment to the cause of Christ where he's like, I don't care if those people want to kill me. I want to bring the good news of Jesus to them because I love him and God loves him. And he's willing to face the very people that just stoned him and left him for dead. And he'll go on to the next city and do it all over again. Now, I don't think that you and I are going to be like stoned outside the city gates of the Carmel or Hamilton County or in North Indianapolis or wherever you came from. But I do know that to follow Jesus in 2018 and fully see him unleashed in your life, it's going to take some commitment and some sacrifice. And that's the hard part of following Jesus. So the question I want to ask, and we're going to pray, how committed are you and I, no fingers pointed, to the cause of Christ? Would you quit your job if you believe the cause of Christ was going to require that? Would you move to another country and minister to a poor or impoverished part of that country because you believe God wants to bring the good news to those people? Would you be willing to suffer persecution and people talking behind your back at work in order to serve God in this lifetime? And let's be honest, this uh, culture in American, at this time in American history, it's not easy to follow Jesus, but we're not seeing persecution like we see in other places around the world. You're not going to be stoned to death. But how committed are you to the cause of Christ? Would you even open up your Bible and encounter him for five minutes a day in the morning? How committed are you? No fingers pointed, but honest question. I believe that question and how we respond to that could change the course, not just of our lives that are in this room right now, but change the course of human history in our city, in our state, and around the world. And we've seen that over the last six years. Will you pray with me? God, uh, this is not new for us as a church. It's something that we've always wanted to see achieved. And I got to see Teresa Lee at the 9 a.m. service, who 40 years ago, you radically changed her life, and she became fully committed in the way that we're going to discuss. And today, she now lives on mission serving the homeless in Indianapolis because she believes so strongly that you've called her to, to minister to that people group. I know that there are many of us in the room right now that you may awaken us spiritually to use our life in a way we never thought possible, but it's going to take commitment and sacrifice. It's going to change our life, and that's the hard part and why most of us never see life change occur. So we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us right now in the room, God. We acknowledge it for those watching online that you are there with them as well. And we pray through Joshua chapter 6, through Acts 14, that you speak to us in a new way. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen, amen. Uh, I want to tell you a true story. Maybe you guys heard this a few years ago. This is actually true. This is not a joke. This is real. There was an uncle who took his nephew to the beach, and his uh, nephew was out playing in the water, and he was actually attacked by a shark. 
I'm not making this up. You can Google it. It's online. He was attacked by a shark, and the shark bit the kid's arm completely off of his body. And they actually uh, have... Um, they know there's a picture of this online. He actually went, the uncle went back out and tried to wrestle the shark to get the arm back out of the mouth of the shark. I'm not making this up. I've actually got a picture. Um, That's not actually the picture, but I thought that was a way cooler picture. So you picture this uncle, he runs back out there and he tries to get the arm back from the shark and he's wrestling, it's actually like a six foot bull shark and he's trying to get the arm back. He actually, I'm not making this up, he gets the arm back, they take the arm and the child to the emergency room, they sew it back on and, and while he had repercussions, he still has the arm today. How crazy is that? And I was thinking about that kind of level of commitment to a cause uh, we don't really know that as Christians. When, when Jesus tells Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, of hell, will not overcome it. That there is nothing that can stand in the way of the advancement of the cause of Christ. I get convicted because my level of commitment does not resemble that passage. I don't know if you, agree, if you see that in your life as well. And I was thinking about the story of the man who went and got the arm. Here's how I would have reacted. I mean, let's be honest. You can judge me all you want, man, but you'd probably be like that too. If there is a man-eating shark in the water that just tore a child's arm off, I'm not going to run out and wrestle him. I'm going to be women and children. Everybody get to shore. There is a man-eating shark. Nephew, I'm sorry about your arm. We'll get you a prosthetic. You'll be fine, right? Sorry. That's how we react when there is fear and anxiety and worry. I want to say spiritually, that's how we act as well. When the enemy wants to keep us from pursuing God's best in our life and becoming the people we are created to be. What I'm about to share with you, I don't want you to confuse something. I'm not sharing with you that if you exert effort to follow the Lord and stay committed to him, that he'll be more pleased with you and you will earn a spot in heaven. That reproduces religious zealots, and there's enough of those in the world. Would you agree? What we want is passionate followers of Jesus who want to experience him more fully. And they do these things I'm about to describe, not so that they can make God happy, but because they want more of him in their life. We have often talked about that we want to be uncomfortably close to Jesus. Live in a way where we require him to show up, his power, his authority. That's at the heart of what I want to discuss with you. It's what I believe we see in Acts 14 that I described, and it's what I believe you're going to see in Joshua chapter 6 in a moment. But it's not just in the New Testament or the Old Testament. Throughout Christian history, we have seen those who don't just have compassion, but take their compassion and follow it up with effort and believe that God's going to show up. Those are the people that we remember. Let me give you some examples. Martin Luther, he'll be excommunicated for the church trying to bring the Bible to people in their common language. Mother Teresa, I mean, that's an easy one that you can know. How many of you would go, man, I hope God calls me and I'm going to leave everything, lead a celibate life and move to India and go to the poorest neighborhood of the poor and minister to them for the rest of my life? And yet that's how she changed the world. We don't remember her just because she had compassion We remember her because she had compassion and did something about it. Billy Graham, right? None of these people I'm going to mention are perfect by any means, but Billy Graham will travel all over the world bringing the good news of Jesus to people and sacrificing all his time and energy and effort to to do that. And of course, this weekend, we got to remember Martin Luther King Jr. 
somebody that was willing to see an oppressed people group and say, God, this is not okay, and say, God, I'm going to ask you to show up, and did it nonviolently because he believed that God changing a culture and society is what actually would make a difference. And he ends up giving his very life for that cause. And yet, while we have a long way to go today in our culture, that's certainly true. He changed the course of human history because he didn't just have a passion, but he followed up willing to sacrifice and commit to that cause with everything that he had. What would that look like for your life? may not be to be any of those people I described. You may not lose your life like John Huss, uh, somebody who 100 years before Martin Luther did something similar and he ended up being killed for it. It may not look like Jim Elliott, who wanted to reach uh, an unreached indigenous people group in South America. You may remember this from the movie End of the Spear. The anniversary for this was uh, January 8th, I was told, just about a week ago. And he left everything he had here in the United States with just a few guys. They went down to South America to bring the good news of Jesus to a people group that had never heard it, and they're killed for it by the very people they were trying to reach. Leaves his wife and his kid back in the States. You know what they did? The family actually went down there and continued to share the gospel, and that entire tribe ended up becoming followers of Jesus to, the day, to this day. They took people that saw a way they could make an impact and believe God was the solution, but then they actually did something about it. I want to share with you very quickly through Joshua chapter 6, four ways to commit to the cause of Christ in 2018. And the first way, it builds on what we shared last week, to fully unleash God. And I believe that means believing that he is the solution to our problems, watch out, our problems and our obstacles that we're facing. You see, it's great to say I want to see Jesus fully unleash the power of the Lion of Judah, roaring, fighting my battles. But, but if I don't begin with believing he's the solution to my problems and the obstacles in my life, I won't rely on him to begin with. Let me give you an example of this. This means that when you're having marriage issues, and you've been having the same marriage issues for three or four decades, and you want to just go, where is God in all this? That you still commit to saying, okay, God, you're the solution. I'm not just going to go to Christian counseling, although I encourage you to do that, and the church will help pay for it. But I'm going to go do all the things to fix my problems. But first, I'm going to invite God into those problems. I'm going to believe he's the solution to our addictive habits, our problems with our kids, our issues at work, our financial struggles. Look, work hard. Do things to fix those problems, but if you don't first begin by believing God is the solution and inviting him into that, unleashing him into your obstacles and problems in your life, I want to tell you that's the only time in my life where I've actually seen true life change occur. Look what the Israelites did in Joshua chapter 6. You guys ready to study this together, church? It says this in verse 1. I heard like a yes over there. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. He says here, I know you've been traveling in the wilderness for 40 years in the desert. And your kids have been whining for 40 years. They're grown adults and they're still whining. And all you want is the promised land. Rather than having a great strategy... Just believe that if you unleash me into this particular place, I'm going to give you the land that I promised you. How many of you are going to go, oh, that's a great plan, God. I'm really looking forward to this. Yet it says that the gates, you know the story, but you probably haven't thought of it with fresh eyes, that it was securely barred, that they couldn't get in. 
I want to use that as an analogy. I don't know what in your life right now seems impossible, that you couldn't overcome it, that you couldn't see that change, that God couldn't save your, your, your marriage or your dating life, or you could never become someone who honors God with your sexual life, or you could never honor him with your, your finances, or you could never devote yourself to your children the way that he desires you to be. Whatever that obstacle is, I want to encourage you, if you unleash God, that anything is possible. The only reason the Israelites are about to see victory is because they believed that very thing. And God is going to show up and show off in those issues. But you got to think for just a second how ridiculous this would have seemed. You guys know the story, right? Like, God's going to tell them, we're going to get the city. You've been waiting for 40 years for this. We're finally there. Here's how we're going to do it. Okay, we're going to get all the armed men. You guys ready to fight? Yeah, we're ready to fight. Okay, here's how you're going to fight. You're going to get up. You're going to walk around the city. No one's going to say anything. We're just going to walk around it with the Ark of the Covenant, and then we're going to go back to our tents. Who's ready for that plan? <laughs> oh, and then here's what we're going to do. Here's, here's day two. We're, we're going to do it all over again. You guys are just going to walk around. Don't do anything. You're going to have all of your weapons ready to go, but just stand there and walk and march around the city. And everybody's looking over the walls, seeing this, and they're shouting things at you and anything else. And you're, you're bringing everybody with you along for the ride, the whole community. Guy, come on, kids, hurry up. I don't know why we're doing this, but we're going to do it. And yet, because of their obedience, God is going to begin to show up. You see, what I'm about to share is, while God is the solution to our problems, what well, doesn't mean that we don't have to exert effort. Number two, if you're taking notes, if you want to unleash God, it actually is going to require that you exert effort. Now let's make clear, not exert effort so that you fix all of your problems. God is going to be the solution here, but exert effort to be obedient to what he's asked of you. And that's actually the hard part of following Jesus sometimes. Those simple acts of obedience, right? If your mother Teresa Though you don't see the world change if you don't go through the act of obedience to actually go where God has called you to do, do the difficult things that he's asked of her. If you look at verse 3, it said that they marched around the city uh, once and all the armed men, they did this for six days. Going, why are we doing this? But out of their obedience, they had to actually get up in the morning and exert the effort to march around the city and do what God is asking them. Not because God couldn't just show up and and give them a victory, but because he wanted to grow their faith through the process. See, see, I've met so many people that are like, yeah, man, I want to fully experience God. I want to have a life change. I want to do all that stuff. But, but it's actually going to require, if you want to get to know Jesus more and become uncomfortably, uncomfortably close to him, it's going to require you actually getting up in the morning and, and opening this up, and not out of religious you know, zealousness, but actually because you want to encounter God, taking the time to open this and read his word and allow it to soak in and orient my worldview around what it says rather than orienting God around what my worldview is. That, that takes effort to get up and to do that on a daily basis. It, it takes effort to get up and to pray and to try and say, God, I, I want to hear from you more in my life this year. It, it, you have to exert the effort. And that's not always easy. That's actually kind of hard to do on a regular basis. It takes going, man, if I want to experience you more, I'm going to fast some this year. And, and you go, I'm not wired to give things up. I don't do that. I like to eat. Any people like to eat out there? Come on now. Amen, says the Lord. And you are going to say, you know what? Every once in a while in my life, I'm going to begin to fast. I'm going to commit times of prayer. And maybe it's not just from food, other things in your life, so that when you miss those things, you rely on God more fully. 
Throughout Christian history, throughout the Old and New Testament, and even throughout the last 2,000 years, those who began to commit to the cause of Christ and asking God to show up are the ones that actually see him show up. You know, uh, six years ago, we started this church, and it started at Clay Middle School right here in Carmel. And when we first started doing it, it was a lot of effort. We were setting up and tearing down every week. Anybody here during those days? Uh, yeah, well, there's actually quite a few at this service because you were lazy and came to the fourth service, I guess. I see you in the back, Nathan Clapp. But uh, Nathan, dude, he would get up on three hours sleep and come in and lead us in worship after he's out uh, doing paid gigs as a musician all over the city. It took a lot of commitment and energy and time and sacrifice. And you know how we were rewarded for it? There was barely 70 people coming to the church. It was really difficult. It was a whole lot of effort and energy. And you know what ended up happening? I, I remember this. There was a time where it was like, God, we're seeing unchurched people come to know you. But man, it's a lot of effort for what's happening. I came from a really large church in Southern California And it was a very different life change for me. I was working six plus days a week. Eric was probably working six days a week and he wasn't getting paid. He didn't get paid back then. He worked for free. I mean, who would do that? And and it was just like, okay, God, we're doing all this effort. Maybe I need to work harder. Maybe I need to work more to see you actually show up. And you know what I started doing instead? I began to get convicted. Where if it's really God who's going to do the work, the effort I'm going to need to Uh, place myself in is to believe and take time to actually pray more and work less. And so I started protecting a Sabbath day. I know that's hard to do. Started saying, okay, God, I even got to the point where I'd take a two-day weekend. That seemed impossible to me. It was like, God, you're going to have to show up and show off if you're going to actually see people reached and a church created. And I'll never forget that second birthday celebration at the old building that we leased where we saw 12 people, including Teresa Lee that I mentioned during that time of prayer, get baptized in a horse trough in the lobby of the little facility we were using. And it was 100% because God just began to minister to people and he used our obedience to relying on him to change people's lives. I think the same thing will be true. If, if you want to see your marriage become better, definitely go to all the Christian counseling. Again, the church will help pay for it. Go to the Significant Marriage Seminar that will be coming up, man. Fill out a Connect card. We'll get you signed up for it. But if you don't invite God in and begin to say, hey, uh, husband, hey, wife, we're going to commit to praying about this together every single day. We're going to get on our knees and beg you to show up in our marriage. I believe that could be the most life-changing thing that you do. We're struggling with your kids, man. I just, I just, I'll be honest with you. This weekend, my son, man, I got really mad at him for something. And uh, he did something bad. And I had to, you know, correct him. But I got really mad. And I, sh- I vocalized that anger. And I had to pull him aside later and go, you know what, Jake? You can't do that. But, but you don't deserve to be yelled at like that either. What I need you to do is understand that God loves you. And he doesn't want you to live like that. And I begin to invite God into my relationship with my son. If you want your kids to become more like Jesus, uh, then we have to invite God into our parenting life, which isn't easy. That makes it more difficult. It's much easier to parent in a way where I just scare you into behaving better, right? (laughs) That's that's my fault. Don't you want to do that sometimes? Just behave better, and I'll scare you until you do. God actually wants to be in the middle of that. He wants to be part of it, and it takes exerting effort to see him in the middle of that. That's what it looks like. That's the difficult part of being committed to the cause of Christ is allowing him in and then being obedient like the Israelites were. Number three, if you're taking notes, that when you do that, then you're going to have to resist excuses and temptations. 
that come up along the way. I do this all the time. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. It says this, Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. So he says, march around the city for six days. On the seventh day, now you're already tired and going, why are we doing this? You march around it seven times in a row. Let's be honest. If you had to do that, you would start going, why am I doing this? This is ridiculous, right? Don't you feel like that sometimes? Some of you, you get up and you set the time aside and you pray and you read scripture and then you go, I got nothing out of that. I don't even understand what I just read. It might as well have been in Hebrew because I didn't get anything out of that. And you start questioning, God, why am I doing this? You begin to pray and asking him to show up in your marriage and exerting all that effort. And then you're having the same problems you had four decades ago. It gets frustrating. The Israelites, they just kept being obedient, trusting that God was going to show up, exerting the effort to be obedient to what he had asked them to do, and then resisting the temptation of making excuses for why it can't happen. I can't speak to you, but I do this all the time, right? You go, oh, you know, I really, I don't have time to spend with you this morning, Lord, because I got to get to work and I I need a cup of coffee and maybe two cups of coffee before I get there. So I'm awake. And then when you get there, you know, I've got all these things I need to accomplish throughout the day. And and, and then when I get home, I'm tired and and I really want to spend time with the family. And and there's all these good things and good reasons of why I can't spend and exert effort and actually see you work my, and I'm a pastor, right? I, I know you do the same thing. And before you know it, you go through a day and a week and all of a sudden you you are surviving rather than seeing God thrive in your life. I believe the Israelites lived differently and they see God show up because of it. When it didn't make sense and when it didn't always uh, work the way that they wanted and when there seemed no real strategy in place, they did what God had asked and they obediently marched in step around that city believing that God was just going to show up. I'm going to get up and I'm going to read the Bible and I'm just going to believe that you're going to speak to me. And it may take a few days or weeks and I begin to encounter you more. And I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And I'm going to begin to fast. I'm going to begin to pursue you with my whole life. I'm going to exert some effort and believe that when you're fully unleashed in my life, that's when things are going to change. And, and other people may look at that and there's a temptation of going, why are you doing that? Why are you, do, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. You, can, you don't need to follow God in that way. Right? I was talking to Pastor Darren. I didn't share this at the other services. I was talking to him a while ago, and we were talking about how in our culture today, you know, for so long there was so much uh, religiousness that the freedom of being able to choose, like, hey, it's okay to have a, a, a drink uh, occasionally. It's okay to um, spend some time just vegging out and watching Netflix and doing some things, and we have these freedoms, and there's nothing sinful or wrong about doing some of those things. But when we stop seeing God show up because we create these non-sinful habits that actually developed into us seeing God show up in our life less and we lose out on some of the spiritual disciplines and practices that actually connected us with God in the first place, our freedoms turn into jail cells for us of not seeing God fully show up in our life. The fourth and final point that I want to share with you is this. 
that we do these things not to be religious people or to make God happy or to get a spot in heaven when we die. I, pro- I believe it's by faith alone, by grace alone, that we have been saved, not by works so that no one can boast. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. But number four, that we experience God more fully. That's why we do this. Because we get to experience the almighty God that created the heaven and the earth and everything in it, the universe itself. You and I get to experience him. And when we get to experience it because of our level of commitment, we get to see him show up. And we have stories to share with other people for generations upon generations. I want to read the rest of Joshua chapter 6. I want you to see how the Israelites see God show up. It says in verse 6, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance. Can you picture it? March around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets. Can you picture it? And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. It's not going to be by your effort. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. And then here's what happens. Joshua got up early the next morning and the the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets all over again, doing it one more time, went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. Days. On the seventh day, they got up at the daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army and he said, Shout! Can you picture it? Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. It was bad enough for six days. You had to march around and say nothing and then blow the trumpets and you got the ark and all that. So the priests marching around going, what in the world are we doing? Then on the seventh day, you got to march around it seven times. And after we've done nothing the whole time, we finally get to there and all of a sudden I'm supposed to shout at a particular time. Let's be honest. Some of you, especially some of the guys in the room, let's be honest. Like those first three songs, you ever like see people singing and you don't want to pretend, you want, you know, you want to pretend like you love the Lord too, but you don't really like to sing, so you just kind of mouth some stuff, Right? right? I picture some of us, man, we'd be there, we'd march around seven days going, what in the world am I doing? And you get there, and he's like, shout, and everybody shout, and you're going, (laughs) right? Like just mouthing it. Because we don't really believe that God is going to show up, and we're going to get to experience him more, and that this is going to be worth it. What what I want to share with you is this, guys, if you get everything else, that Mother Teresa really changed the world. That Martin Luther changed the course of human history. That, that Jim Elliot got to see an entire indigenous people group come to faith. But it didn't come without effort. And when we celebrate tomorrow, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, that didn't come without sacrifice. Without some commitment to the cause of Christ. And the same thing will be true for you and for me. And so when he sh- they shout, and they do... They're about to see a miracle occur. But I truly believe if they hadn't been faithful to the small things of obedience that God had asked of them, they wouldn't have seen God show up. 
Look at verse 20 with me as we close out. Verse 20 in Joshua chapter 6. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, and when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and, and took the city. I don't know what obstacles you have in your life right now. But in this last moment we have together, I've got the question on the screen. I want you to take out your program, a little space you got there. If you want to get out your phone and, and write down your response to this. And this week that you would commit to praying about this in our time together, that God might even reveal this. What are the obstacles keeping you from fully experiencing God in your life? that are securely barred up, that seem impossible, what would it look like to believe that God could change that in your life, to begin to exert some effort to resist the temptation and the excuses that we so easily make and experience God fully in a way where he overcomes those obstacles and those issues that each of you are facing. I'll close with this. I never got more convicted than when I went to Zambia, Africa, and I was there on a mission trip, and we got there, and the pastor of this local community in the Copper District in northern Zambia, an extremely impoverished area with the AIDS epidemic uh, there, I look around and see that, that most people didn't either have a home or they, none of them had anything but dirt floors. It was a very difficult way to live. Many of them were hungry. And I remember going there and the, we asked the pastor, they had brought us in to do a conference for them and to teach and to share some ministry tactics. And I remember getting there and we asked, what do you want us to teach on? And he said, we want you to teach on tithing. I looked around at everything that they were in and they had just asked the Americans to come there and teach on tithing. I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's not happening. There's no way I'm going to do that. Well, you should be teaching us about such things. And what happened was uh, we finally gave in and we said, okay, if that's what you want us to do. We shared about that. We saw hundreds of people surrender their life to Jesus Christ, teaching on tithing in that neighborhood. It was insane. Because even in that poor area, some of the same spiritual issues that you and I struggle with, they struggle with them too. And I got so convicted that if that people group in that environment could begin to say, we want to live fully committed lives to you, even though we've got nothing to give for it, then I want to do that too. And ever since then, man, I have always thought, not just in the area of finances, but my entire life, God, you have entrusted us with so much in American suburban Midwestern culture. We think we got it rough, but we have it more comfortable than any people group in human history and God, may my obstacles, may you overcome them. May you use everything you've entrusted me with to change the world, the way people before me have, the way that they did in the Old Testament, the way that Paul did in the New Testament, the way that Mother Teresa and Martin Luther and Martin Luther King Jr. did. May you use my life to make an impact that lasts for eternity. And here's what I, I, I want to reflect on as we close out and we sing this last song of worship. I invite you all to stand up. See, we don't just do this because... We want to experience God more fully just for ourselves. We do this because we want God to use our life for the sake of those around us, for the world around us. Now I wore a sport coat this morning. I don't wear that every week. I buttoned up my top button a little bit. And what I thought maybe for those of us who have been in church long enough that we need to begin to relax a little second, take off the white collar, 
unbutton a little bit, begin to roll up our shirt sleeves some, and begin to actually say, God, babe, thanks, Mike, that was great timing. <laughs> actually say, God, I'm going to be used by you this year. I'm not going to live this comfortable, suburban, hold the latte life anymore. I will be fully committed to your cause in my workplace, in my family, when I wake up in the morning and when I go to sleep at night. I've been a Christian for decades and I'm going to heaven when I die. Why don't I use the time I got now to make an impact for eternity? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, there are so many people in this room that have been set afire by you over the last few years and many of them are living this out in the community but if we're honest all of us struggle with this issue even now and so right now on this date january 14th 2018 there are some christians in the room who have salvation who are going to heaven when they die but have not been living fully for you that haven't committed everything in their life to you and if we're honest, we've just gotten comfortable. And if that's you in the room, you're like me, you just want to admit that to God, let's confess that together. Not out loud, but just in the quietness of this moment, whatever that obstacle is, whatever's keeping you from fully experiencing him, take 20 seconds right now, just confess that to him. God, we confess we need more of you. We want to live more fully devoted lives to you. I want to trust that you're going to show up. May we be obedient to the small things that you've asked of us in this life. And so right now, if that's you and you want to fully commit everything for the rest of your life to him, pray this with me. God, I need you now as much as ever. And I commit everything in my life to you for your sake and for the sake of the world around me. Use me. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we give you this church, we pray in your name. And all God's family said, amen.